Welcome to Hacking Your ADHD, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, William Kerb, and I have ADHD. On this podcast, I dig into the tools, tactics, and best practices to help you work with your ADHD brain. There's a secret that real writers know, that wannabe writers don't, and the secret is, it's not the writing part that's hard. What's hard is sitting down to write. What's keeping us from sitting down is resistance. This is how Stephen Pressfield introduces the concept of resistance in his book, The War of Art. And to me, resistance is the root of the I don't wannas. While I don't agree with many of the things in Pressfield's book, I mean, he states that ADHD was made up by pharmaceutical companies for one thing, I do think resistance is a great way to express this idea. Because when I don't want to do something, it's not necessarily that I just don't want to do it. It's that I can't get myself to start. If I'm planning on going on a run, I know that I'll feel better once I start running. But it's in the starting that I feel resistance. It's the putting on my exercise clothes and slipping on my shoes. It's the getting out the door. Once I start putting one foot in front of the other, it isn't hard anymore. I mean, sure, there is the physicality that can become difficult, but the mental block has lifted. This episode is just going to be the introduction of this topic. While I was writing this episode, I discovered that I had a lot to say, and so I've split this episode into two. Today, we're going to be exploring the idea of resistance and how it keeps us from doing meaningful work. We're then going to look at some of the ways resistance sinks its claws into us, but also how we can work on loosening up that grip. This week is going to be more about the mental battle with the resistance, and then next week we'll be focusing more on the physical things that we can do. If you'd like to follow along on the show notes page, you can find them at hackingyouradhd.com slash resistance. And just a quick note, I usually try and keep this show fairly family-friendly, but I do drop an F-bomb in this episode. Before we get started, I'd also like to take a moment to let everyone know about the Hacking Your ADHD Patreon. While the podcast will always remain free for everyone to listen to, it isn't free to produce. If you enjoy the show and would like to help support it, here's your chance. And there's some great perks. For example, at the $10 a month level, I'm going to be releasing bonus content every month. This month, I put up the full interview I had with Carrie Gormley about my first year of podcasting. We got into a ton of stuff beyond what went into the podcast episode. If you'd like to hear that, or any of the other bonus content I put up, just go to hackingyouradhd.com Patreon and sign up for the $10 a month tier. Alright, keep on listening to find out how you can start fighting resistance. Here's a short list, in no particular order, of things I felt resistance to. Doing my taxes. Brushing my teeth. Writing. Exercising. Making food. Hanging out with friends. Going to bed. Getting out of bed. And also, staying in bed. Resistance tends to rear its head any time we find ourselves choosing between what would feel good now versus what would feel good in the future. But I can feel resistance doing pretty much anything. I felt resistance to eating a brownie because I'd have to get up off the couch. I suppose that's just a micro version of feeling good now while sitting on the couch versus the reward of getting to the kitchen for the brownie. Resistance is something that everyone feels. Sometimes we just don't want to do things. And there are times when resistance doesn't hit me at all. I'll walk into the kitchen and I'll see the dishwasher has finished running and just go and unload it. No inner fight. I saw that it needed to be emptied and I went and did it. I mean, maybe I was procrastinating on doing something else. But nonetheless, that was something I could have felt resistance to and didn't. We've all felt resistance. It's that debilitating inertia that keeps us from starting. It is the dread that keeps us from starting a task that we know we should be working on. It is the definition of self-sabotage. And resistance can take any form. 
It's the voice telling us we have to clear off our desk before we start work. It's the voice telling me I'll play my game for just five minutes before beginning my assignment. And then also the voice telling me that now that I'm playing, I don't have enough time to finish anyways, so I should just keep on going. It's the voice that rationalizes why we aren't doing the thing we should be doing. And here's the thing. These rationalizations are often true. If I say I'm having trouble concentrating because I haven't had enough water, I should go get some water. But resistance will convince me that I need to quit working rather than just taking a five-minute break and filling up my water bottle. Resistance allows everything to become a reason not to work, and it lets us procrastinate forever. Resistance will do anything to keep us from moving forward. It is the malaise that holds us in place and tells us that we're better off where we are now, that the discomfort we feel now is better than the pain of trying and failing. And what makes resistance so insidious is its relationship with shame. Resistance keeps us from doing the things we want to be doing and builds up the shame of not completing them. We become convinced that we're not living up to our true potential. We become convinced that the only thing standing between us and the person we could be is the fact that we're lazy, that we're not good enough, and that we're the ones to blame, that we deserve this. It doesn't matter that there are only so many hours in the day that I can work. Resistance tells me I should be working all of them. That if I'm taking breaks or doing anything other than ticking off items on my to-do list, that I'm failing. It tells me that I'm only worth what I produce and that I'll never produce enough to be worth anything. So let me say this. Fuck resistance. Fuck the idea that I'm only worth my work. And fuck the concept of my unlived potential. I'm worth more than the work I produce. I don't need to work all the time. I don't need to live in the shame of an unlived potential. I am who I am, and there is no potential me that is being held back. I grew up hearing how I wasn't living up to my potential. That I was smart, but that if I just applied myself, that I could do anything I wanted. This is a pretty common theme with ADHD, and it is debilitating. It leads us to believe that we are broken, that no matter how much we do, that we could do more. We believe that if only we didn't have ADHD, we'd be the most productive people on the planet. But it isn't our ADHD that's holding us back. It's these beliefs that paralyze us and fill us with unrealistic expectations. This isn't to say that I need to stay where I am right now. I have goals and dreams that I'm working towards achieving. But I don't have to go at a breakneck pace to reach them. I don't have to sacrifice everything else in my life to hit the goal society expects me to. I mean, what's the rush? Well, the rush is that I want it now. The rush is resistance telling me that I'm not going fast enough, that I'm falling behind. Well, except who am I falling behind? Who am I comparing myself to? Other podcasters? Well, that's kind of a broad category. And if we didn't start at the same time, that's not very reasonable. Well, maybe I'm comparing myself to other 35-year-olds, or other people with ADHD, or I'm struggling to think of someone that it would actually be reasonable to compare myself to. And the key word here is reasonable. It's human nature to fall into comparison, but we often are comparing ourselves to people that are completely different than we are. When I drive through my neighborhood, it's easy to notice that I have one of the worst cars. It's not that I have a bad car, it's just that I've been driving this one for over 10 years now. It would be easy for me to compare myself to my neighbors and use my car as a metric as to why they are more successful than I am. Fortunately for me, I don't measure my success in terms of cars. I mean, I do want to get a new car, but I want to get a minivan, so it's not like I'm trying to outcool anyone with that purchase. What I'm saying is that we're all on different paths, so to say I'm behind is disingenuous at best. We've got to be careful with our comparisons because we are always comparing our insides to everyone else's outsides. I internalized this during a meeting where I came in feeling truly a mess. I had been sleeping poorly, I hadn't finished most of what I had wanted to do that week, but I had put together some documents for the meeting. And it wasn't like what I put together was great. 
at least to me. But everyone else at the meeting was amazed at what I had prepared. They told me I was a rock star. And all I could do was laugh, because while they thought I was doing great, I didn't feel like I was doing great. All they could see was what I was presenting to them. To them, it didn't matter that I was struggling with things at home, because they couldn't see it. And along with that, I didn't see the big deal with what I had done. Putting together those documents wasn't hard. Sure, I used some fancy fonts and made it look nice, but it took me all of 20 minutes. It wasn't hard work. And that there is resistance talking again, telling me the only worthwhile work is hard work, that I have to measure the success of my work by how much I struggled while working on it. It was telling me that because what I was doing wasn't hard, that I wasn't really working, that I shouldn't be proud of things that are easy for me to do. And this comes back to the idea of basing your worth on your work. Modern culture has an obsession with hard work. While this sentiment intends to encourage people to do amazing things, it can also have the opposite effect. Not everything I produce needs to be something I labored over. We have to realize that as we get better at things, they get easier and easier to do. Sure, I put those documents together in 20 minutes, but it was only easy because I knew what I was doing. But I only knew what I was doing through years of doing it. And this really is just another version of perfectionism. We internalize that we need to struggle to produce quality work. But then, when something isn't difficult anymore, we have no way of judging its worth. So we rationalize that when things are easy, it's because we were doing a lousy job. And when we're combining this with comparing ourselves to others, we find that we are never going to be able to measure up. Because when we see someone do something and say, Wow, they made that look easy. We don't think that they were doing a bad job. We're just admiring their skill. But when we make something look easy, we believe that we're just not pushing ourselves. I mean, just take learning to read. I'm dyslexic, and I didn't end up reading by myself until the fourth grade. Years of struggle went into getting to the point I'm at now. But even with overcoming my reading challenges, I can still get caught up in those comparisons. I do most of my reading on a Kindle, and since you can't physically see how much of the book is left, I use a feature that predicts how much reading time is still in my book. In this way, I measure most books in hours read instead of pages. But when I first open up a book, it uses the average time it takes someone to read a book for this measurement. But as you read it, it recalculates based on your reading speed. And so as every new book, I get reminded that I am, in fact, a slow reader. The timer usually doubles as I read through that first chapter. And it doesn't matter to me that I'm dyslexic, and it's literally harder for me to read. I still feel that comparison. While I was only diagnosed with ADHD in my 20s, I've known about my dyslexia my entire life. I don't even have clear memories of a time that I didn't know I was dyslexic. Because of this, it's relatively easy for me to dismiss some of these comparisons. Being dyslexic is just who I am. But with ADHD, I've had years where I was able to compare my productivity to others unhindered. While some of it could be blamed on my dyslexia, I usually chalked up my lack of focus and productivity to being a pretty crap human. Even now, with my diagnosis, it's hard for me to ignore the fact that it seems like other people can just get more done than me. My brain says, look at them. If you could just focus on your work, you wouldn't constantly find yourself in the hole. If you didn't always give in to resistance, you'd be like them. And this is our problem with comparison. I have no idea what's going on on the inside with them. I have no idea what struggles they're going through. Maybe they're spending all their time at the office because of how bad their home life is, and that's their only escape. And... And maybe they are just better than me. Does it matter? Because I'm also not looking how they got here. I'm not seeing all the work they put in to get to where they are now. The same way that experience makes things easier for me to do is also going to be making things easier for them to do. So in the end, these comparisons just don't make sense. It is incredibly easy to cast resistance as the villain of our story here. We see all the bad that comes from resistance. But resistance isn't trying to ruin us. It's trying to keep us safe in its own twisted way. 
We know that when we put ourselves out there, that we've got the potential to get hurt. Every time I sit down and write, I'm creating the potential pain of criticism. It doesn't matter whether or not it's true. Those words are still going to hurt. Resistance wants us to be comfortable where we are right now. So why not just avoid that potential pain? Generally, I'm a guy who goes with the flow of things. I try and take things in stride and not get too upset about not getting my way. That's just me following the path of least resistance. That's okay sometimes. But if I want to go after the things that are going to have a positive impact in my life, I'm going to need to go against the flow sometimes. I'm going to need to get uncomfortable. And this is one of the keys to why resistance is so hard to fight. What we crave and what we need to grow don't always line up. Right now, I'd love to dig into some fresh-baked cookies. Just imagining the smell setting off my taste buds. I'm not even hungry, but cookies just sound delicious. Yeah, I'm not hungry, and yet I'm still craving that sugary dopamine hit. And I know even after that first cookie, I'm going to want another. And another. I'll eat the whole plate before I'm satisfied. But you know what I'm not craving? Going on a walk. Sitting down to do some meditation. Or even just opening up my book and reading for pleasure. But those are some of the things I need more of in my life. I know that when I'm feeling out of it, a quick 15-minute walk will usually make me feel better. But when I am out of it, taking a 15-minute walk is usually the last thing I want to do. Instead, I'll pop open my phone and scroll Twitter for 15 minutes. Will I feel better afterwards? Probably not. Resistance is holding my butt in the chair. Sometimes resistance is going to win, but we can do things to keep it from winning all the time. First, we've got to remember that we're going to have to get uncomfortable, and also that those whispers of resistance are going to be the strongest before we've even started. When I take those walks, it's not the walk that's hard. It's the starting. Once I'm out walking, the resistance has all but faded away. So the focus here needs to be on how to make the starting easier. When I'm working, instead of telling myself that I need to buckle down and get to it, I'll just idly open what I need to work on. And just having that document open makes it easier to get started. Another option is to make what you want to do more enticing. When I go for walks, I usually listen to podcasts. If I've got a podcast I want to finish listening to, it is much, much easier to convince myself to head out for that walk. And then, when I'm done doing those things that actually make me feel better, I need to remind myself that they do make me feel better. Check in with yourself after that walk and ask how you feel. I wasn't entirely honest earlier because there are times that I crave movement. And there are times that I crave eating a healthy meal. And this is because my brain has started to recognize that those are the things that really make me feel good. While it won't ever wholly override our desire for those quick dopamine hits, it does eventually start rewiring our brain to crave those things that are good for us. Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end. Before you go, though, let's do a quick rundown of today's top tips. 1. Resistance is the inertia that keeps us from starting. It is also the inertia that slows us down and stops us in our tracks. If we want to be doing more meaningful work, we need to look at ways we can fight our own internal resistance. 2. Comparing ourselves to others is an exercise that is never going to lead us down a good path. 3. We need to abandon struggle as a metric for success. Everything gets easier as we do it more and more. And just because something is difficult to do doesn't mean it is more worthwhile. 4. What we crave and what we need to grow don't always match. This means we have to work on rewiring our desires so we're not always fighting resistance to go on a walk. We can do this by being mindful and taking note of how we feel after we do things that are good for us. For this episode's show notes, go to hackingyouradhd.com resistance. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. 
I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. You can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hacking Your ADHD, or you can leave me a question over at hackingyouradhd.com slash contact. And if you want, I can even try and answer that question on the air. If you'd like to support the podcast, the best thing you can do is tell a friend an episode you think they'd like. You could also leave me a rating or review on your podcast player, or you can support me directly by supporting my Patreon and getting some cool perks. Just go to hackingyouradhd.com slash Patreon. That's hackingyouradhd.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. The ADHD Rewired Podcast Network also has some other great shows you might want to check out. ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers features in-depth interviews with fellow ADHDers and ADHD experts. And ADHD Essentials with Brendan Mahan also has great interviews, but has more of a family focus. So if you're a parent with ADHD or have a kid with ADHD, definitely check that one out. I do a live Q&A with Eric and Brendan every second Tuesday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to register for the next one, just go to ADHDrewired.com slash events. And now for your moment of dad. What happens when you unintentionally step on a duck? A quack accident. <laughs>